Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Hope you're doing great today. I am thrilled to welcome on former NBA head coach, and I'll read his bio in a moment because he's done a ton of things, but Dell Harris. He's 83 years old. He's got lots of stories to share with us today. He was Kobe Bryant's first coach, and so at the very end of the conversation, uh, we, we talk a little bit about Kobe and uh, a ball that he actually has signed in his office. And so we, we, we did this interview uh, with, with Dell while he was in his office, and, and we did it on video as well. So, uh, so it was fun to, to see him and, and see his setup uh, as well. But, uh, but thanks for being with us here on Unpacking It. Before we jump in, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options, healthmarketgenius.com. Support them as they support us. It's a long conversation today, and, and at the end of the interview, I'll share uh, one big takeaway that I had, there, there, were, there were multiple things that, that came up that were, that were fascinating and thought-provoking and interesting, but, but I'll share the one thing that, that I hope will be an encouragement to you. And, and let me just give you the, the, the bio and the background on Dell Harris. And, and so even at this stage of his, his life and, and career, he's still, he's still in the game. He, he's the VP of the Texas Legends, uh, a part of the NBA G League. And, and so they're connected with the Dallas Mavericks and, and Mark Cuban. And, and so throughout Dell's career, his coaching career spanned from 1965 to 2012. How about that? So he served as head coach of the Houston Rockets, Milwaukee Bucks, and the L.A. Lakers, where he was NBA Coach of the Year in 1995. And so overall, he spent 14 seasons as a head coach. And then he also watched eight of his assistant coaches eventually become head coaches, and then two others become NBA general managers. And he worked with seven centers who went on to the Hall of Fame, including Yao Ming, Moses Malone, Shaq, and, and then he, was, he coached Kobe and Magic Johnson. And maybe the best part of his bio, he was in the movie Space Jam. <laughs> That's right. You gotta love it. It was funny. I texted my brother and told him that that I interviewed Del Harris, and and he sent me back a line from Space Jam. So uh, even even my brother uh, remembers him from that movie. So um, that was the first thing that popped in his head, I guess. So that was funny. Um, and then also Del won the 2020 Chuck Daly Lifetime Achievement Award, and and then he was also an assistant coach for the Rockets, Bucks, Mavs, Bulls, and the New Jersey Nets over his 30-plus years in the NBA. He coached more than 400 international games with experience coaching the national teams from Puerto Rico, China, Canada, the Dominican Republic, and the U.S. So, 
with that background, you can only imagine that the stories and the experiences that he's had. And so we talk faith and life, and and he shares how he kind of ended up in coaching, and and so it's it's quite the quite the story, and and just a a nice humble man, and 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 great opportunity for me to uh, to talk to him and for you guys to hear from the great Dell Harris right here on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And joining us right now on the Unpacking It podcast is head coach, assistant coach, longtime basketball connoisseur, still in the game at the age of 83, former Lakers coach, Dell Harris is our guest. Coach, it's so great to have you on today. How are you doing? Uh, doing fine, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's all good. You're doing all right, I guess. Looks like it. It's what? I say it looks like you're doing fine as well, so it's good. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I think you're in the, the Dallas area. Is that correct? Frisco, Texas. All right. And, and so uh, let, let's start kind of with, with this year, as it's been just a, a very unusual and, and challenging year for, for all of us, but, but specifically for you, what has this, this year been like? What's the experience been like for you? Well, obviously, uh, pretty well locked up, but uh, the the worst part was uh, the disruption of uh, the basketball season because uh, actually the the rest of the time I'm here at the house most of the time anyway. I do this and that, but um, we didn't have the uh, G League this year so far and uh, won't actually in this this particular segment of a season at uh, hopefully it will begin sometime after the new year and have uh, some sort of limited schedule. But I'm vice president of the Mavericks uh, team, uh, the Texas Legends, and uh, have been doing that uh, one capacity or another for the last 11 years, actually, 12 years. Uh, this will be our 11th season to have a team, but I was in at the beginning uh, the year that we were just organizing and uh, didn't actually have uh, a roster and no games. Tell me a little bit about your role with the team at, at this point and, and even with kind of things going on, what, what, how have you been navigating that and, and what have you maybe been responsible for as far as making decisions about your team and even helping with the overall league, figuring out what to do next? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, my, my role is, uh, Vice President uh, I, and the pres- my president is Spud Webb, and we right. do things uh, with the season ticket holders. We do uh, things with our basketball camps with the kids. Uh, we uh, give out uh, awards for the legend of the night uh, at at the midcourt before each game, and we give a little talk to people up in the owner's lounge uh, prior to each game and, uh, you know, whatever they ask us to do, but we don't run the, the team uh, at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they ask us something, we answer. Uh, and if not, why well, we just go about keeping our heads down, do our business and thankful to 
be a, just a small part of the team. That, that's awesome. Well, I, I, I want to hear more about that in a moment, but I want to go a little bit more back to the beginning of you getting into the game of basketball and specifically the coaching side early on in your career. And, and I, I read something that, that initially your goal was to be a successful small college coach. And, and now you end up having a, a long career in the NBA as a head coach and assistant coach and, and everywhere in between. And so what, how did that change? How, how did that happen to go from thinking small college to beyond? I uh, started out uh, after my senior year in high school, I was uh, offered a full uh, scholarship to play at uh, Butler University. But two weeks before uh, school was supposed to start, the coach at Milligan College uh, Tennessee, now Milligan University, uh, came by the house. And uh, uh, my uh, pastor for many years had gotten his doctorate degree at Butler and had uh, been a professor at Milligan uh, for uh, three or four years and had already come back and talked about how great a school it was and everything. And he said how he wanted me to come play basketball there. I'd never seen the school, but I'd heard uh, Dr. Uh, Robert Fife talk about it and the coach really wanted me and I so I said okay and uh, and I, I I went sight unseen and uh, it was different uh, you know Butler Fieldhouse 15,000 people uh, the the Hall of Fame coach uh, Tony Hinkle and all that and uh, perfect place to go if I were going to be a coach uh, and, uh, and, and at home, 14 miles, 15 miles from the house. And, uh, I go down there and literally, uh, the first year, the, the little basketball place that we had, you can call it an arena, seating capacity about three or 400. Uh, but that was enough for our school, <laughs> And uh, we actually had uh, fan-shaped back, backboards. This was in uh, 1955, 1955. Wow. It was Spartan, I'm telling you. But I, it's all right. I, I didn't matter. I'd gone there because I was going to be a preacher. And it just seemed that uh, to do that, Milligan was the, the better place for me to go. And it, and, and, and it was. Uh, I think on our team at times we had four uh, would-be preachers on the court at the same time and so forth. Oh, wow. Tony Smith claims that anyway. He says uh, he's, he's my great friend and teammate. And uh, still to this moment, uh, I was in his wedding. He was in mine. We just, you know, we're, we're brothers and uh, in, in, in every way. And he said, yeah, he said, I, I felt strange out there with me and four preachers. So uh, anyway, when I graduated, I was ready to go to Butler to graduate school to, for seminary. Again, two weeks before school was supposed to start, Butler may think I'm crazy. I changed my mind because my major professor at Milligan called me, and I had been his assistant professor at Piney Flats Christian Church uh, for the last two years I was in school, and I was ordained, and he said he thought that it would be better for me take a year to work and make some money ahead of time for going to to graduate school. And if I agreed, he said he had a job already lined up for me and I was going to be coach at a, a junior high just about four or five miles from the school. And uh, 
So I said, okay. <laughs> and, you know, if he'd have said, I think it's better for you to join the army, I'd have probably done that. But uh, so I, I went. And uh, now to give you an idea, uh, at, at uh, Milligan, I had been an uh, honorable mention, small college All-American. I, I was all conference six times. Factor that in now, six times. But that's because we were in two conferences. Wow, so people, okay. you know, how in the world? Yeah, we were in two conferences. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, but I like to use that line. Uh, I thought for sure that all that would get me in the Hall of Fame right there, but uh, no. And so uh, I had such an experience uh, working with these kids, very low income area, the second lowest income area in Tennessee, which was at that time, not the Tennessee that it is today. You know, uh, it was, it was uh, lower down the, down the economic ladder uh, 60 years ago life-changing, uh, the effect that I had on the kids, all the interactions. We scored over 100 points four times in six-minute quarters, and oh, these are kids God. that never had anything, uh, and most of them weren't even figuring on going to high school. They get out of eighth grade, you know, and that's it, but uh, that all changed for them, and uh, most of them went on, and then and, and a lot of them played uh, in high school then, and they wouldn't even have gone, literally. I think I'm supposed to coach, but I'll, I'll do both. So uh, I, I tried that early on, but I did decide if I was going to coach, I'd have to do it back in my home state of Indiana, where they were really, you know, doing basketball more uh, than they were in Tennessee at that time. I, I did that, and uh, I <clears throat> I uh, coached high school for four years. During that time, I had, uh, a, a, at the end, I had a church off in the, in the hills of uh, central Indiana, where uh, everybody that went there was either a, a Wells or a Hauser or a married to one. Then I got uh, this uh, opportunity to be a small college coach, was, which was what I thought would be my goal. I wanted to kind of be like Coach Walker was at, at, at Milligan and, and who just died uh, about four months ago at age 95. Wow. We were still in touch. Wow. And he coached 50 years. I got this job at Earlham College in Indiana and uh, stayed there for nine years. And we uh, won a lot of games, and uh, I was uh, national finalist coach of the year one year and coach of the year different times, and we won the only conferences, championships they ever won to this day. Uh, we were ranked sixth in the nation once and twelfth in the nation once at the end of the season out of about 600 NAI schools at that time, and uh, but that was the last job that I ever applied for or interviewed for that I had. I never right? had another job that I applied for or interviewed for. And that was in 1965 that I took that oh. job. I think that I was meant to, to do this work. Uh, what happened was in the last seven summers, I was at Milligan, I start, or at, uh, at Earlham, uh, I was called to, to coach in the pro league in Puerto Rico. I did that for seven summers. We won three national titles in a row and I was coaching against a lot of ABA, NBA, and D1 guys. And 
at the end, uh, Tom Nasalki, who was the ABA coach with the Utah Stars, asked me to be his assistant coach. Well, I didn't apply for it. I didn't interview for it, but I went. Yeah. That lasted one month after the season started because our new owner ran out of funds. And our best player, Moses Malone, had broken his foot. He was 19 years old, 20 years old at that time, second year. Mm. And he wasn't play, He couldn't play. He, he, the last part of uh, preseason. So people didn't come. We, we got a business. Uh, the next job I had, Tom Nasalki got the next year, he got the head coach at the Houston Rockets. He called me and said, why don't you come on down? All right, I did. There's just the two of us now. And so then – he went up back up to uh, Utah after three years to with the Utah Jazz when New Orleans moved the Jazz to Utah. That's why it's Utah Jazz, no other good reason. Uh, and I became head coach. I didn't apply for it, didn't interview for it. The, the, the new owner came in and uh, he said the players had told him that uh, they'd like for me to stay and be the coach. And that's the way it was. And then the next one, on, on and on. Uh, uh, Don Nelson asked me to come and coach uh, with him at Milwaukee. And uh, Jerry West asked me to come out and who had been a, a good friend for a, a long time. And he asked me to come out and be the coach of the Lakers. Didn't apply to an interview. Then the next job I had was with Nelly again here in Dallas. You know, come on back to Dallas. Come here to Dallas and help me out here. I've been here ever since, 20 years. And uh, so – uh, it's just one of those things, the same with coaching internationally. I didn't apply to coach it with the USA basketball, Rudy Tomjanovich, my great friend who played for me and was my assistant coach uh, to start his career, uh, asked me to come and be his assistant. Uh, Ken Shields asked me to be his assistant up in Canada for the 94 Worlds. Uh, John Calipari asked me to be his assistant with the Dominican Republic for 2011 and 2012. And China called to see if I'd be the head coach of China for the 2004 Olympics. So that's, that's uh, uh, been my, my uh, route. And I think it's because uh, I've always felt that basketball is God's game. And so if you don't mind, I'll just go right on into that. If you don't mind. Yeah, please do. Uh, basketball uh, is unique in team sports uh, in many ways. First of all, it was uh given as a gift, according to Dr. James Naismith, to him, as he was, he was a pastor he, uh, from Canada, but he was working at the Springfield YMCA, and God gave him this, this concept, this idea of, of basketball, and that's, that's his, his take on it, and the purpose of it for him was to help develop the spirit, mind, and body, and the spirit was uh, the first word in that uh, mantra there. The game was spread worldwide rapidly through the YMCA. It went to Indiana, my state, very rapidly because a man named uh, Reverend Nicholas McKay was in that class where basketball was presented by Dr. Naismith. Came back to Crawfordsville, Indiana, introduced it there at the Crawfordsville YMCA. And then it went to other YMCAs. And the first actual game between two entities that we know about that were totally separate was it with the YMCA of Crawfordsville and Lafayette, Indiana, where Purdue is. To give you an idea, I have stood, along with John Calipari, on the court in China where the first basketball was ever played. 
that was at the Tianjin YMCA, which is kind of a seaport city for Beijing. 1891, when Nasmith was 30 years old, only 30 years old when he invented this game. People think he's, they see his picture now and they think, yeah, he's 100 years old. No, yeah. he's 30 years old, invented this game. 1891, the first basketball played in China at the YMCA, C standing for Christian, was not 40 years later, 30, 20, 10. It was in 1984. A little less than three years after the game was started at the Springfield YMCA. And the game itself, because there's just five guys on the court at the same time, uh, whereas in soccer, hockey, football, baseball, uh, you've got uh, a lot of players. And in basketball, you've got that small unit that each has to be offense and defense, each has to have the total skills. Each has to be able to catch, pass, shoot, guard. In the other sports, there's so many specific things you have to do. You have to hit the ball. You have to catch the ball, throw the ball. You have to block somebody out. You have to run. Uh, you, you have to get the puck in the, in, in the net. You got to keep it from getting in the net and, and so on. And there's guys that play defense and guys that play offense. Basketball is different. And basketball teaches total dependency upon one another, unselfishness, sharing, and there's a sportsmanship level, support that you, you have to give uh, to one another. And what it does because of the intimacy of the, of the team is really uh, great for building relationships. And I think that the game is all about relationships. You become very dependent upon one another. You have to get help. It, you know, you can't do it all by yourself. I don't care if you're LeBron, you got to have AD. And then if you're LeBron and AD, you still got to have the guys that came in and helped them because they were not the favorites going into this uh, tournament this year. Now the Clippers were on, on that side and Milwaukee was on this side, but Miami and uh, this great coach Spolstra had different ideas. And so did uh, LeBron and, and AD have uh you know, a lot, you know, they, they, they weren't going to get beat. That's, that's what happened. And, and yet, and yet, you know, Miami was gallant, you know, with injuries to key players and they still just, they kept at it until the end and the end, they just ran out. But anyway, that was, that was, that was great that uh, they were able to do all that. But anyway, that's the nature of the game. And that's really the purpose of the game. And, uh, you know, I've coached somewhere over 3,500 games, and I don't remember all of any of them. I don't remember any of most of them. But what I do remember is the relationships. Uh, I'm still connected with men that I that are in their 70s that I coached in high school or college, uh, and guys 20 years ago, 10 years ago, X years ago. I mean, uh, it's just, uh, and it's because. Uh, of the of the relationships when when you do it the right way and if we have any coaches out there I just want you to to realize that coaching is a at at, at best a ministry but at least it's mentoring it, coaching is mentoring is coaching or coaching is pastoring is coaching and uh, my players all thought I talked too much you probably think so too now but uh, <laughs> the part of my uh, I, I kind of had to justify, in, in, in a sense, coaching during those years, uh, 
you know, to mix in my own preaching right in there. I just yeah. tried to I just tried to relate what we were doing to life itself quite often. And, you know, a lot of times they didn't want to hear it. They just, come on, come on. And we don't like shoot the ball, you know. So that's anyway, right. that's that's the way I look at it. And I think it's a very honorable thing to do. And I only, in, in retrospect, realized what I told you about never having to uh, apply or uh, interview for those jobs since 1975. And, and I only realized that when kind of thinking about some of the rewards I got and I traced these steps and it occurred to me and it justified my decision back at junior high you know because there were times I felt sort of guilty you know not being a preacher I said I was going to and then and then well I, I was and I wasn't let's say I I mean that's not right. like I during this COVID thing. I actually married some friend of ours, friends of ours. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, nice. yeah, uh, on Zoom. Yeah. Oh, did you? Really? I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've married him, buried him, and baptized them. So not in that order. No, but, but uh, no, that that's cool. Well, in in talking about it, being a coach and and being a part of basketball as an opportunity for for ministry. Now, as you reflect back on your time and 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 some of those relationships. What are some of those those ministry uh, opportunities that that come to mind? Or not that you even have to name people specifically, but just some of the, the the impact that you feel like, man, God really used you in some specific ways throughout your coaching career, and you you see His hand kind of all over that 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 experience as a as a coach. It's more a a general thing. I mean, you would. I'm, I'm not comfortable saying, well, hey, I did this, and because of that, he did that, and, I, and I'm not into that. Uh, you'd have to, you know, spend a lot of time to run people down and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, and, and, and I don't know. Uh, but, you know, just being, uh, being there, being a friend, staying in touch, uh, letting them know you care, I think, uh, you know, it's been said many times uh, that uh, – nobody uh cares uh to to uh, hear or do what you want them to do until they know you care that's a big hurdle uh because you have to demonstrate caring i don't care you can say hey i love you i love you i love you a thousand times uh but it doesn't register like one uh act uh of of giving love is giving it it doesn't mean you even have to like the guy you may not like the guy but he's got a need, and it's your obligation then, if you're loving your neighbor, to help that person in need. That's the whole essence of the Good Samaritan. Those guys didn't like each other. The people walking by, the Jew in the in the ditch, uh, they they just they they walked by and except the Samaritan. Well, the guy has a need, and I'm going to take care of it. No, that, no, that's great. So yeah, I did. Not to put you on the spot with it, but I think that's a that's a wonderful perspective just in how you viewed your coaching and that the pastor's heart that you had anyway, you were able to to use that as you built relationships and and, and showed that care for people. So uh, for your players, which is which is awesome. And then because I was going to ask you, why are you still involved in basketball? But but I think I already know the answer to that. But but the idea that even at eighty three, you still want to be 
in the game and, and connected to, to, to these guys and connected to the league, even, even in the G league still connected. I don't know if you want to add anything to that just for, for why you still. Uh, I, that's a it. good, that's a good point, Bryce. Uh, I want to stay in it as long as uh, they'll let me. Uh, that's, you know, the bottom line. I, it's, it's not who I am, but it's what I do. And uh, I uh, am thankful for that. I just, uh, I mean, I still, I do a lot of anybody that wants to know something. I, I do clinics and I do stuff and a lot of individuals have my email and I answer those things and help them if they need anything. So I, I like, you know, staying in touch uh, with the game. So uh, I don't think about retiring. I <laughs> Again, as long as Mark Cuban will keep me <laughs> on, on the team here, I want to be on it. No, I, I love it. I love, I love that attitude. And uh, my, my previous pastor, he always said that he goes, Hey, I don't, I don't retire. Just refire, just refire, just keep it, keep it going. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful approach that, that I uh, hope to do myself as, as life goes on. But, um, but as far as your, your walk with the Lord, it, it, it appears and sounds like you've, been a believer uh, most of your life and and throughout your your coaching career and and I'm I'm curious at at this stage of life as as you you know reflect and and even throughout this year as it's been a, a just a challenging year for the for the world uh what what's God been teaching you what what's been on your your heart lately well let's back up a little bit I gave you the highlights the good points the the you know all the pluses <laughs> I'm not all that you suggest yes i started out uh on the right path as a kid but you know i was 10 years old you get baptized back then you know you want to go to hell or you go to hell if you want to go to heaven you get baptized otherwise you're gonna go to hell okay i'll go for the baptism and uh it uh you know was uh not life-changing at that time of course i mean it uh, <laughs> 10 years old. Uh, I just kept, and I was 11 and I was 12. It's just, you go on. Uh, but uh, Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2 is, uh, has a lot to do with my life. Uh, I, I was a stock market Christian. I was up, down, in, out, like, well, I, it was perfect. I was a perfect human, imperfect. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're all flawed. And uh, Ephesians 2 is pretty much my uh, the story of of of, of me of Dell, uh, and if you you start that from the beginning, it's pretty rough. There's a lot of downs in there, and then verses four to ten uh, are are key verses for all believers, and then it uh, there's more beyond that uh, in that particular chapter that are 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 good, uh, you know parts and things but uh, particularly I, I was the first 10 verses uh, described a lot of my ups and downs and but uh, I had life change in uh, 1998 when both my parents died and uh, uh, I was coaching uh, with Rudy Tomjanovich in the uh, world ga games in, uh, in 98 in Athens when uh, they were really going down and uh, uh, and they held on till I got home, and uh, then they died within five weeks of one another. They were 
almost 80. Uh, Dad was uh, almost 90. Dad was 88 and mom was 87. So uh, when I went to the wake for dad and heard all the things that the people had to say about him, uh, it, it, uh, it was life-changing because dad had, had not been a, a, a good, uh, oh, I don't know, father, husband, uh, all, all the time. Uh, but he had a, a he made a, a commitment at age, uh, 53, uh, to God. And I thought this will be good. This will last about a month. Well, it lasted a year and 10 years until the day he died. And all the things that he did, because I was gone from the house by then, obviously. And I was just said, wow, I, I better reevaluate my life. I, you know. And so that got me, and that was the lockout year. And it gave me time to reflect and, and then to, to learn. And I got my, my Bibles out again that I hadn't been reading and other books and started listening to the great speakers on the radio and, and became a friend with uh, a pastor, Steve Fabian, uh, at uh, Calvary Christian Church in the Palisades, California, Pacific Palisades. And uh, he put me to work. He had me teach in a class and do this and that. And we got... Uh, my wife all involved. She had been uh, raised a Catholic and, uh, and it just, so that got us started off on an entirely different path 22 years ago. Then a few years ago, uh, I had another life change, uh, at, uh, Gateway Church, uh, the, where Pastor Robert Morris is, uh, the senior pastor and founder, co-founder with uh, Jimmy Evans and and uh, with a couple of other uh, great pastors, uh, um, James, uh, oh, I forget his name now, I'm old, but at any rate, yeah, I'm familiar uh, with yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robinson, James Robinson, a great pastor and uh, evangelist. And anyway, the book uh, and sermon series that he said that uh, was, uh, the God I Never Knew, and my sister had been trying to explain to me, who was a great Christian, about uh, things about the, the Spirit more, um, and uh, Andrew Murray, uh, the great writer on, on uh, the Holy Spirit, was, uh, she read all his books, and and anyway, fortunately, before she died, I it, it came to me, and so you asked, my, my focus has been more uh, being in uh, the spirit and uh, trying to uh, feel uh, God's presence uh, as often and more, as much as possible, uh, you know, because he's always present, but you either are or aren't aware. And, and uh, it's important that you acknowledge this presence. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you do that, then I, I've, felt I, I finally did uh, could feel with assurance that I had received the spirit and uh, my spirit couldn't really uh, agree whether I, I had uh, connected to the spirit or not. So that has made all the difference in my life. 
Wow. No, that's, that, that's powerful. And, and that, I think it's maybe confusing for people at times, or, or that, that is a struggle for a lot of people to recognize God's presence. You know, everybody's talking about unity, unity, unity. Well, unity is one. We, we were founded on unity, e pluribus unum, uh, from many one. And uh, John 17 is all, uh, Jesus is, speaks, it's all in red, because this is Jesus' uh, sermon, basically, uh, but it's he's talking with his disciples on unity. It's called by many the unity chapter. And uh, unity is what we were really created for. God created uh, a man to have a union, to have fellowship, to have a relationship uh, with him. He walked in the garden initially, then that got blown up. And, and ultimately, he has found a way through Jesus that uh, we will spend that time again in a personal relationship where he will be with us. Check it out in Revelation 21, if you want to. The thing that uh, is, is, is so vital here is that you have to be one with one another. You, he wants us to be one in him as he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And he told his disciples, hey, I can only be here one place at a time physically here, but I'm going to go and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that can be with all of you, any of you, any. That's That's as everybody's welcome. It, uh, people say that, that Christianity is so uh, uh, exclusive, you know, it, there's only one way to be saved. Well, that's the fact that we believe and, and has been ordained, but anyone can come. Anyone Amen. is welcome. All, Amen. everybody's, all in, in Greek and English is still all. And uh, right. so anyway, that those are things that... Uh, and we, we work on unity here. I've got a lot of people that are uh, doing the best we can, uh, different colors, races, and whatever, uh, to, to do this, but in the Christian sense. It's interesting. I was just reading this morning uh, Francis Chan's book uh, about the church. I think it's called Letters to the Church. And he was talking about how, you know, as believers, we're all, we're all connected as one body. Yes. And, and, it's, and he was like, you got to pause and let that soak in. And you know, it's hard for us to really wrap our mind around that, but, but you and I are connected because it's the same Holy Spirit. And so that's a wonderful thing. And so, it, you know, there, there is still division that gets created and we, we push people out. And even within the, the local church, there, there creates this division. But man, when we understand how we are connected to, to Jesus and to the Spirit as, as one, um, man, it's, it's powerful. And we just have, we have to acknowledge and be aware of that and then walk in that. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up because it was on my mind and heart today as well. Well, that, there's no doubt. And there's, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no different. They're, they're all one. There's no Presbyterian, uh, Catholic. Uh, there's only one church. We're all, the, the body of Christ is his church. And it, you can call yourself Methodist, Baptist. Now, that's fine. As long as you're Christian, I mean, you, and uh, but people sometimes let you know these identity politics thing divide. You know, we we get we divide into tribes or so forth, and those are self-imposed uh, disunity uh, uh, kinds of of, of uh, programs that that uh, defeat. Uh, the, the unity purpose.
that's right. And yeah, the, the power that we have when we operate in that, that unity. Yeah. Yeah. So that, no, I, that's encouraging uh, message from uh, coach Del Harris with us here on unpacking it. And, and I did want to ask you about your, your book because you, you wrote it a few years ago or came out a few years ago called on point four steps to better life teams. And, and so what was your main message for that book? And, and what was the hope for, for that book that you put together? Yeah, that, uh, well, thanks for mentioning that. Um, it's still available, as a matter of fact, yeah. on Amazon, you know. Um, but, uh, and you can get used ones from Amazon even for almost nothing, uh, or you can get a, get a new one that doesn't cost much. I don't know what it costs, $15 or something. But that uh, book re resulted from uh, a speech I gave in Detroit for uh, Nancy Lieberman, uh, point guard of the of the year award she gives every year. Then I spoke uh, at a uh, commencement at Dallas Christian College uh, shortly after that, and I used that as one of my points. And I the, the the talk I had at Detroit was that we all had a, a the, the first of all explain what a, a really good point guard does for a team. You know, all the, the, the aspects of a point guard. And then that we have a point guard within us, if, you know, that uh, we uh, can utilize, you know, if we could develop it and so forth. It's called uh, developing an influence quotient, IQ. Develop your IQ, your influence quotient. And that mm. puts you in a position where you can be on point as a leader to make a decision to do some things in circumstances, even if you're not in a leadership position at the time, you're not the boss, you're not the chief, you're not the general, but you, instead of everybody fighting to be the leader, there's were so many books written on leadership. If everybody tried to be a leader, you'd go all these different directions and you'd, you'd never have a team. But if everybody was willing to do as a point guard to help and develop others, get the ball to other pe people in the right place and still know when to take your own move and do that, that uh, you, this was what a person could do. Well, after I gave that uh, commencement speech, the, the president of the college said, you ought to write a book on that. I thought, well, I don't know. So I said, <laughs> and, uh, then I called him up two or three days later, got thinking about it. And I said, I'll tell you what. I will think about writing a book if you will let me come there uh, the next semester as an adjunct professor and I'll teach a class on uh, this this topic of relationships to, toward leadership. Okay, I did that and I told him, I said, if after that class that there's enough that I can make a, a small book that somebody might pick up that it would be worth a little bit of their time, then I'll do it. Well, that's what happened. And it worked out. It, it, it did well and uh, still does some uh, after all these years. And I spoke on it a lot of places around the state and here and there. But uh, what it is, I, I start in the first chapter about the point guard. In fact, the Nations of Coaches, I'm sure you're familiar with Nations of Coaches. Uh, it's a great Christian organization. And uh, they bought 600 of them to give to coaches at uh, the Final Four one year. So a lot of coaches got them for their players. A lot of coaches got them for their point guards. After the first chapter, if you can get through that, if you're not really into being a point guard, the rest of it uses uh, sports stories and, uh, to uh, talk about 
the four steps that it takes to have a better life team. And we're members of, of various life teams as we travel through our time. You know, you're born into one, have your own oftentimes, most of the time. Uh, you know, you have a life team on little sports teams, but at school and on church groups and your businesses and, and all that. You get into teams and everybody's into teamwork at, at, in businesses and corporations and so forth. So, uh, and there's four, four major steps that it takes. And in the end, when you start with uh, the, the goal setting commitment, this type of thing, and uh, you get into the, the caring and uh, to uh, the uh, uh, just uh, mentoring, helping others, and, uh, and then uh, getting to where you have built step-by-step uh, step loyalty because uh, you, you you have to go through to have relationships. You've got to get uh, trust and, and then trust can become loyalty in time and loyalty given and, and observed a long time turns into affection or even love depending on the relationship, that sort of thing. And love is where you can have unity uh, and that's what a relationship is about. A relationship is about unity. At, at that point, you don't have relationship without unity. That that's what brings them together. And it and I back up every sports point with scripture. And I, I will tell you, it's. Uh, I, I feel like the message was given to me, and I, it's absolutely scriptural. You know, hey, I think it's a good book. That's all I can say. That, no, that, that's awesome. I, I write a devotional every day. It takes a current sports story, relates it to the Bible. So God gives me those kind of ideas. So I, I'm right there with you. It's, it's, it's amazing how he uses scripture and current sports stories. And so to, to, to hear that, you, that he used you in a similar way with your, your book. Well, Dell's book is called On Point, Four Steps to Better Life Teams. Uh, which you can find on Amazon. I, I saw it, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to reading that. Yeah, all right. That should be great. So that should that should be awesome. Well, Dell, it was a, a privilege to to talk with you. You, you see my my Kobe Bryant uh, jersey hanging behind me. So yeah. as a Kobe fan and and knowing that that you were uh, his, his first coach, uh, that, that well, let me lot. tell you, Bryce, you can't see it here. Uh, that ball, it's the '96 '97 Lakers. That was Kobe's rookie year. That's right. And, and we went 56 and 26. Uh, he didn't play a lot that year. He, he, he didn't even have training camp because he broke his hand uh, before training camp. But still, by the end of the season, he was a factor. But he didn't start off being a factor. In fact, he didn't even score the first game he played. And the second game he played, he made one point. The third <laughs> game, he finally scored his first basket and three-pointer. That ball is faced out and it has his autograph on it but it's revealing the reason i have it out there it's an object lesson because mm -hmm. his autograph on there is not kobe which it ultimately became mm -hmm. but even though he was a precocious 17 year old when we signed him he was uh this was kobe when we signed him he was 17 oh. Great picture. He turned 18 a little bit later. He had been, you know, the focus of so much uh, 
attention uh, in magazines and sports, stories and TV. When he signed his autograph as a rookie, he's got Kobe Bryant, eight. He would ultimately be a guy that just Kobe was known around the world. But even though he's described as a guy being self-centered and, and uh, so on and so forth when he started out. Now, he didn't end up that way, just the opposite. Fortunately, he ended up, it's a great story, his, his story. But he was totally focused on being the best he could be and, and, and nothing's going to get in his way. And, 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 and so he was, and he was willing to pay the price. Everybody wants to be the best. You know, it's like everybody wants to go to heaven. They don't want to die. <laughs> you know, so, no, he was willing to die for it, I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah, but there was still some humility there in the guy hmm. that he, and even though by the end of the year he knew that he was nationally known. He he wrote his full name. Nobody writes their full name on a ball. It's always <laughs> something you can't read in a number underneath. And that well, I don't know what it says. What number? Let me see. I'll look him up. Right? That's right. You've seen That's those right. balls. You got some. Oh, yeah. You can't. Yeah. I'll bet you. I know you can't tell half of them. There's going to be about half of them you can't tell by the scribble. No question. Because what they do is they line up on on ball signing day, they line up 100, 200 balls in the bleachers. Wow. And guys get in a line. And, and so they're in a hurry. You know, it's always after practice. Um, they want they, they went out of there, you know. Yep. And sometimes we have it on a day off, and we learned that, you know, and better after you know, on a day off, but on a light day anyway, and blah blah blah. Anyway, there's no good way to do it. They don't want to sign them, but they do it because uh, they know they need to, and it's part of the job. But that's why it's it's so you know you get you get tired of you know when you get to a hundred. Uh, you're just you're, you're just up. making some lines and and number twenty two. That's it. That's it. But you've got the the Kobe full name, Kobe Bryant, yeah, on, number on eight. And and That's that was cool. what he started out with. We know he ended up with another number. But I, I was a fan early on. I was a fan of number eight. So yeah. So, well, that yeah. second year he second year he only started one game. We won sixty one games that year uh, because he was playing behind. Uh, Eddie Jones, who was an all-star both those years. And, and Kobe was, didn't come in with that man's body like LeBron did. And he didn't come into a bad team like LeBron did. So, uh, and Kobe said, uh, you know, later on, that it, uh, as much as he wanted to play and hated it, that he couldn't play any more than he, he did, that he realized that ultimately it helped him be a better player because he had to refine his skills uh, you know, to the uh, the level of a 50-60 win team, uh, and uh, and he did that. So I don't know. It's just it's a shame that he uh, died at 41 because he was starting to do more good and mm-hmm. and, and things that would be more lasting. Uh, mm-hmm his next 41 years, if he were fortunate enough to get those, uh, than he'd ever done as a player. I mean, he, and, and 
he's already set up the framework and it moves on anyway. I mean, it's still, his legacy will ultimately be, uh, and it certainly would have been more than as a player. And hopefully if the people, his wife and children are able to continue, and I think that they all will, uh, it will end up being still greater uh, than uh, as great as he was as a player. But that, that second year, he, he was our third leading scorer. He was, and he, uh, he was a runner-up sixth man. And like I say, the two years I had him, he, he won, we won 56 and 61. And Shaq missed 53 of those games. Shaq missed the first year uh, 31 and the second year 22 games. Hmm. And we, that's how good he and the team team was. And we didn't have a player over 30 when I left. Thank you, Coach. Really appreciate you being a part of this. And uh, thanks for sharing some stories and sharing your heart and, and encouraging some, some sports fans today. I, I know I'm encouraged and uh, greatly appreciate you being a part of this. Well, I'm just a part of you have You've had better guests on than, than myself. You've had some <laughs> great people on there. Well, thank you for the time. And, uh, and uh, yeah. God bless you on all the work that you do. So best to you. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. You too. There's Coach Del Harris joining us here on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And we're back in studio to unpack the conversation with Dell Harris. And, and that was fun. I, I could talk to him all day and, and go through some of the players that, that he coached. And, oh, my goodness, the, the number of stories uh, are endless. So, uh, so, so a great opportunity for all of us today to, to hear from him. And, and I, I loved what he talked about, the, the, the Holy Spirit and, and just – you know, being in the presence of of God and and embracing His presence, and and so I, sh- I shared a little bit about that as well. And so I love that uh, him bringing that up. And and again, I'm reading this awesome book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church, and it's powerful. And and a lot of it's about unity and and just kind of the current state of the church. And and so uh, very interesting. But anyway, that triggered. Uh, it went it went along the lines of of what's been on my mind and heart as I read that book. So so Dell brought some of that up, but the the one big takeaway that I want to leave for for you today as a listener is when I guess I brought it up, but Dell talked about it, or maybe he brought it up first. But the the idea that that he viewed his coaching career as his ministry, and we've talked about it before. We've had other coaches on, but for all of us. Whatever we're, we're doing, that's our ministry. Whether it's work, whether it's our family, whether we're hanging out with friends, all of that is an opportunity to do ministry, meaning encouraging people, being there for people, loving people, and ultimately being the hands and feet of Jesus and showing people Jesus and, and telling them about him and encouraging them in the Lord. And, and so it doesn't always have to be within the four walls of a church. It doesn't have to be under the banner of an official ministry. Every day that, that you walk into your office building, 
well, now I guess we're doing it from home. Every time you step onto that Zoom call, you have an opportunity to to represent Jesus and and do ministry. Now, it's tricky when you're talking business and, and all that kind of thing, but you're still developing relationships, and then opportunities present themselves as you're seeking the Lord and as, as you pray for those opportunities to, to, to get into deeper conversations. And, and people are watching even how we respond in business circumstances and, and when things are tough at work or what, when you are having conversations about what you did on the weekend and, and how your family's doing. All of that factors in, and and so I think too often it's easy for people to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not in ministry." No, we're all in ministry now. Unpacking it is an official ministry, and we're set up that way. And so I, I, you know, I'm a part of the unpacking it ministry, but but my life is is ministry, and and there are some things that maybe aren't you know official <laughs> unpacking it business that I'm I'm still. Uh, being a, a light and a witness and an encouragement to someone. And so uh, that's the calling for all of us. And so whether it's a, a basketball coach or a radio host or a salesman or a financial representative or someone at the bank, whatever your job is, you have opportunities to, to do ministry, to share the gospel, to love God, love people wherever you are. And, and so sometimes we, we feel like, man, I, you know, the pastors are doing all the, the ministry work, and that's, that's just not the reality. That shouldn't be the reality. The, the reality is God can use all of us to, to reach people for him, and, and we're, we're, we can all do God's work. And, and so we're, that, he, that's how he set it up. You know, ultimately, he's the one that empowers us, and through his Holy Spirit, we're able to, to go out and, and do his work and be the hands and feet. But but we're the ones stepping out and and doing it, and we're the ones, uh, you know, connecting with people, and and so uh, again, God leads and guides and strengthens, but uh, but we we can all be doing ministry. Let let's not use that, I guess, as an excuse. Like you know, for for Dell, he could have just, well, I'm a coach now, so I'll, yeah, I'm not a pastor, I'm not doing ministry. No, 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 no. You could still use and leverage and the the opportunities that he had with people that not many people get into a locker room with some of the guys that he shared a locker room with. So God, God will, uh, you know, the results are in God's hands ultimately, and so we can rest in that as well. As I kind of put him, I put Dell on the spot uh, asking him that question, but I appreciate his perspective on that. So, thanks for listening today. Thanks to Dell Harris. May have to go watch Space Jam again. I actually watched it a couple months ago. It, it still holds up. It's a great movie. Uh, but now I, I'll have to look for that scene with uh, with Dell Harris. Actually, I googled a part. I found part of it, but I got, there's like a full scene that I got to see. But, uh, but anyway, uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. As always, I wrap things up and remind you that I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected. And through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well. And I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackinit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T dot We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackinit.com slash donate. 
We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.